Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigSceneDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. On May 29th, 1999, Discovery became the first space shuttle to dock at the International Space Station. This was a feat many thought would never be possible. Yet, human spirit to strive beyond limitations won out. In this same year, a movie was released where the main character was asked to choose between the blue pill or the red pill. Neo chose the red pill, of course, and he woke up to a new reality. This week's guest chose his own path, just like Neo, but his was on a journey from a wheelchair to the NFL. Welcome football history dude podcast where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the nfl your host is arnie chapman football is his passion and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron so hop on board his delorean and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour this time as we step off the delorean the date is may 29th 1999 We're here to witness, in fact, (laughs) we're on the International Space Station kind of watching the Space Shuttle Discovery dock for the first time with the International Space Station. Kind of timely because just a few days ago, we saw the SpaceX team launch two American astronauts with American rockets from American soil to the International Space Station. Now Douglas Hurley and Robert Bankin, they're up there floating around somewhere when you listen to this episode, if you listen to it at the release anyways, because they're only going to be there for a short time. They're going to come back, and we are going to launch the new era of space travel. But why bring this up on a football history podcast? Well, the reason is because 1999 and also the year 2020 are monumental moments for this week's guest. This week's guest is Leroy Collins. Now, he's a former NFL running back. He's also the author of a book chronicling his life, get this, from a wheelchair to the NFL. Yes, you heard right. He was in a wheelchair as a young child. Then he would fight through all these different kinds of obstacles to make it to his dream, the NFL. Just like we had to fight through all these different obstacles being taken away from the space program, to be launched back again. Now we have our dream of going into deep space. That's a long ways off, but we have the right path to get there. And we kind of talk a little bit about that, not necessarily the space travel, but the whole going through different obstacles. You'll hear the term broken arrow a few times and not that kind of broken arrow, but a different type of broken arrow, a path that winds, but always having that true star, that North Star you're looking at, to guide you to where you want to be. And it all revolves around this book. The book is titled, The Running Back, True Story from the Wheelchair to the NFL. 
and you better believe it, I'm going to go ahead and leave links to this book in the show notes, which you can get to through your podcast player or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com, which will actually take you over to my page on the Sports History Network, which is the headquarters for your favorite sports yesteryear. Now, this is a network that's still at the very early stages, so if you know of a podcast that you think should be on this network, or even a YouTube channel or such, or even if you're looking to start your own history show about your favorite sport, team, or league, go ahead, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com slash contact. But let's get back to this impossible task. Jumping from a wheelchair to the NFL. Being told you're never going to walk again to carrying the rock for an NFL team. Just kind of takes me back to this past weekend again, where you have this impossible task of launching these humans from this blue little marble spinning around in the middle of nowhere all the way to that atmosphere. But without further ado, let's just go ahead and get into this story. Talk about the entire life of Leroy Collins. Well, I had to bring you on the show because I saw a book as I was flipping through my internet pages there and it kind of struck me a chord and something to do with a wheelchair to the NFL. And the first question I just had to ask is, of all things, when you're sitting in the wheelchair dreaming to play in the NFL, why was that your dream and why did you, how did you come up with that? Well, um, it kind of started when I'm I me mean, watching a football game. You know, I was watching a, I was watching an NFL football game on TV and I was actually sitting on the floor at the time and I was watching a game. And uh, I was just so intrigued by the by the sport. And I mean, I, and I, tr- I truly believe it was my first time ever watching football ever when I was a young kid. My first game I ever watched that I could remember. And I fell in love with the game. And then since watching it, I just wanted to play it. And, uh, you know, and I just I just, you know, I just always talked about it. I always dreamed about it. And, you know, and I always talked. I always talked about and dreamed about it. And it's just something that became part of me. Yeah, it's something that, um, of course, many of us as children grow up. I can't, I don't know if you can see my, I'm wearing my Detroit Lions shirt. I grew up a very <laughs> fan. Um, I was going to be Barry Sanders still. Um, I, I wasn't because nobody else can be Barry Sanders. Oh, no. But like, what, fa- what players did you grow up listening or watching and enjoying? Man, I love, I love Joe Montana. Joe Montana was my, was my, my favorite. Uh, Roger Craig, uh, I just wanted to run like him. I just wanted to, the way he ran with, with his knees high and and just so much aggression and just the way he moved the ball. I just loved that. And I wanted to, I actually wanted to be a San Francisco 49er and I wanted to play with Roger Craig and and, uh, Dan, and um, Joe Montana. So what was that your running style when you were in the league and when you were in high school and everything? Um, you know what? I tried to I try to manipulate it because even though I, I had to develop my my own style over time, I try to manipulate it at times. And and I adopted a little bit of his his aggressiveness and moves, um, but I kind of kind of you know and, and and you know created my own style as well that's gonna that may be more elusive on the field. But yeah, so I adopted a little bit of his habits. Yeah, and speaking of aggressive, I would say that you had an aggressive approach as to a dream growing up, considering your situation that you dealt with when you were younger. Let's go back in time and let's let's talk about that, the origin story of Leroy and how you went from being in the wheelchair to the, N- to the NFL. So when I was a kid, um, I got hit by a truck and um, the truck, the, the truck hit me. When the truck hit me, it threw me 10 yards in front of it and the truck continued driving and it ran me over. 
Um, and my my clothing got attached underneath the truck. So the the, tr- uh, the after the guy, he realized he hit me, but you know, in shock or whatever, I was still being dragged down the road a block and a half until the, uh, my clothes came unattached in the bottom of the truck. And then my body got ran over by the truck tires. The bottom, the back truck tires ran over my body, and um, I broke 14 bones in my body, and I was pronounced dead at the scene. I mean, I was, I was, I was pronounced dead at the hospital. And they brought me to the hospital, and then they revived me, and uh, and then I was in recovery. But I was got, I got hit by a truck when I was younger um, that broke, uh, broke bones, and 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 it left me in the wheelchair. The doctor said I'd never walk again, and um, and even be able to to function on my own. But you know. Through prayer, hard work, miracles, and uh, it, it all changed one day. So you said one day. Was it a matter of a specific event or thing that you can remember saying, "I'm going to do this" or "I'm going to walk"? The the thing that really that really got me going is that once I had that dream, a vision of playing NFL. My, I wanted to play NFL. That was just like a passion of mine. And so I used to tell my mother, and my mother kind of told me, "Whatever you want, go after it. I believe in you." The doctor said that that uh, you'll never walk again, but I uh, I believe you can do anything you want. So it was it was kind of that that struck struck something in me. And every night I used to practice to learn how to walk. I used to get up midnight, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and I would practice. It's this hallway we used to have in our apartment that had um, the walls were closer to each other, so I can hold on to each side of the wall while I'm trying to take steps. And even sometimes that was still too difficult for me. I used to fall get up but I regardless I practice all the time and um and you know I just talked about it all the time and always dreamed about it you know what I mean just 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 always head in that headed in that direction and then it was one day that um my mother used to always pray for me she's always um real blessing oil on my legs to always pray uh, I used to always hear her at nighttime when I get up walking sometimes she'd be praying at nighttime I used to hear her praying right I'm thinking everybody in the world is asleep but she's up praying for uh, the doctor to you know to you know, continue healing me because I had I was suffering for months. So this is months. This is this is like a course of months of practicing learning how to walk. And then one day she one day she put me in a bathtub full of water, and you know she put a blessing oil in there like she always did, and she always did her prayer. But once I got into the bathtub, my legs stretched out. That's the first time that I can remember my legs stretching out to fully and without pain because my legs I was still bandaged up. I was still it was like I was stiff in a crouched position and I couldn't, couldn't stretch out. And that was that day, my body literally stretched out and I stood up in the bathtub straight first time ever in my life that I could remember, um, come at least from coming from the hospital. And I went out in the hall and I started taking my first unassisted steps without holding on to anything. And everything from there changed. I still had a limp. I still walk with a limp. I still walk, you know what I mean? Uneasy, but um, I was able to walk unassisted and I was, so I was getting, that was my way of getting closer to the NFL. That's my, 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 my way of saying I was closer to the NFL. So it gave me more power, more strength, more, more, uh, motivation to even work harder at a young age. Was it a situation of the, those that supported you around you said, okay, he's going to shoot so that for the stars. So he hits the moon or did they in their heart believe he's going to make the NFL? Um, you know what? It was more of a, a support, love from a family, family members. Um, the doctor said that I never walk again, so they had nothing else to go off. But my mother was always she's a faith. She believed in God, so she's a, a woman, a woman of faith. So she believed God is anything is possible through Christ. But nobody never really saw the NFL. You know what I mean? They they heard me say it, 
They heard me say it, uh, but it was like as clear as day to me. I mean, you, I mean, I can I wake up in my dreams crying sometimes because I can see myself making it, you know, so I can see myself waking up. Uh, I, I got myself I sometimes I woke up in tears because I actually would made it to that point. I was so happy about it that it was like a clear picture to me and saying so working, working towards it was like it was like necessary, something that was supposed to happen. And um, I struggled with a lot of other areas of my life. Um, but for some reason, it, it always that kept me back on that path to get to the NFL. You had like that North Star. You had that shining beacon of something. I'm always going to head that direction, kind of thing. I was I had that direction. It was it was I was I got sidetracked. If y'all know if you see this, I got a logo. My logo is um it's an arrow. It's a broken arrow. I don't know if you can see it, but you see that right there. That's that's my logo right there. That means it's not like success is not a straight arrow. Life is not a straight arrow. Basically what it is, that's a logo to represent my life because that's what it was. I saw the finish line. I set my goals at the bottom of that arrow and I, I set my goals here and I reached it up here and I went through all this right here to get there. Um, but I believe if I didn't have that goal, if I didn't have that vision, it wasn't so clear to me and I had that much faith. I'm sitting in a wheelchair and I'm thinking I'm going to play in the NFL. Now, anybody, everybody knows that you need your legs to play any type of football. And I'm a young kid in a wheelchair saying I'm going to play in the NFL. And I saw it so clearly. And it was and I mean, it had to be something from God that's like, you know what? Um, I'm going to give you something to get you out of this wheelchair because you got a lot more, more to do other than football. Yeah, I'm kind of getting the chills just thinking about it, because anybody that doesn't even have to go through the wheelchair situation is considerably out of their mind to think that I'm going to for sure make the NFL. And then you go through that struggle and then get into high school. And I thought I saw somewhere at that time, were you the state rushing champion for New York? Yep. So I had a New York state Russian Russian record for a while. Um, uh, I broke, I still got a school record. I had a second, the, the touchdown record, the yards record. Uh, I was a couple yards away from having like a, you know, what is it? Uh, what is another record I was a couple of yards away from having, but yeah, I broke, I broke New York state rushing record. Yeah. That's cool. That again, going back from the wheelchair to breaking a record and then you get into college. Um, how did that process go? Were you recruited or did you have to fight your way in? Um, so, uh, like I said, one of those struggles I was going through when I, one of those shifts in the arrow, um, I was, I was in the special ed classes. So I had, I struggled in school. School was like the, uh, was my worst subject. <laughs> so um I just had struggles with dealing with uh education and um and that stuff, but I fought my way to get out of the special ed class and to get back into the general public classes uh, because I was said I need to get a division one scholarship and I don't think I can do it from the special ed classes. And plus I thought there's more to life that I need to learn. So uh, we requested to get out of special ed classes and, and I and then end up doing that. I struggled in school, but then I found a way to learn. I found a way to, that, would, that, that can teach me how to, to overcome adversity. Um, when I had car accident, I died for eight minutes. I dealt, I had brain trauma. So I had, my learning was slow behind everybody else, at least a year or two behind everybody. So if I'm in the ninth grade, my education level is at seven because I can't, couldn't catch up because of the way my thought process was. So I actually had to go to tutoring and counseling and, and different things to learn how to study and learn things like everybody else. I make mean, more than everybody else. And I put my 
whole heart and soul into that. And then I was able to graduate high school and um, I got recruited by every school in the, in the country. All right. And couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't go to uh, Division One school because my grades were so, so bad. Um, and but I, my grade wasn't so bad towards my end of my year, but I messed up earlier on that I played catch up for like four years of my high school, three years of high school. I played catch up. Um, and so I, and I and I took the SATs. I mean, the SATs was something that wasn't really spoke about in our school because nobody ever went to Division One from our school. So it wasn't like, OK, take the SATs and go to school. Uh, so they never if you weren't a student, studious, stu- a studious student, they weren't talking about the SATs. And I mean, so um, and I'm glad I changed that now, because now since I made it to the NFL and, made, and got a Division One scholarship, now they're. Kids that are have a uh, somewhat of a talent in school and in uh, and, and high school, they're recommending them to, to study for the SATs and give them an opportunity to get a scholarship. Did that um, having to learn differently than a lot of other people? Did that affect how you would consume a playbook, or was that different? Playbook too. So anything a playbook, everything that I everything that I I had to do, I had to do it over time. Like um, like you might. Um, have to study uh, two hours for a test. I'm studying 10 hours for that test. You know what I mean? So um, the playbook, so we will go to the play practice and 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 while we're in practice, the coaches would give us a plays and learn plays. I write the plays down and I'll go home and study the plays myself and learn it is. So now after I got it, I got it. It was just breaking down that barrier to get it in there. You know what I mean? Breaking down the wall. It can all seem jumbled up, but once it's in there, it's in there forever. And that was the way it was. That was a process for me. And that was a lot, a lot with everything. I just needed time to get a chance to understand it. And um, and once I got that, it was it was I, um, it was never leaving. Did you have anybody that gave you any kind of techniques to try to overcome some of the challenges or any teachers that you really said, man, this is the one that helped me put me back on that one of these paths going back and forth towards my broken arrow top? Yeah, uh, my my English teacher in high school, I always give her credit for something because she's always one that that always believed in me, always gave me that motivation, always gave me that, you know, you can do anything you believe the same the same type of um, encouragement my mother would give me. But she always gave me that. But then it was, it was a summer school teacher. And I was just talking, trying to remember the summer school teacher name. And a summer school teacher, uh, you know, a, a lady that was just in my path. She was one that was, I think, was sent to me. Because teachers that were teachers all around could not give me the lesson that she gave me. And I think she was because she was just doing a summer school job, not part of school program, just a teacher there to fill in for a summer school thing. But she showed me and told me, Leroy, you what you need to do, you need to rehearse, practice and see, visualize and see everything that you're doing. You might be doing mathematics. You have to see math. You have to feel math. You have to understand you got to do all them things with math so it's a repeating things it's repeat things like it's reciting it's affirmation it's it's all these different things so she kind of gave me that just that gift to know this is what you need to do because um you're lacking behind in this and this and this never another teacher ever told me that before they was like you know you should know this you know, or you study this you should know it um and she was one that got me so i always believed that i wish i knew who still knows she is i um Cause when I was writing my book, I was actually wanting to interview her and talk to her and just like, uh, 
You know what I mean? So I didn't even know even where to start. You know what I mean? Where to start, uh, like to even look for. Her. But I, when I was writing my book, I wanted to talk to her and and try to get the ins the 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 information that she gave me that that helped me because I really didn't realize how much she helped me till like a year or two later. You know what I mean? So that's why I was kind of like somebody that came in, just gave me this this beautiful gift, and then went off. But I believe, still believe that um, along my path, she was meant to be there because I need to learn something. I need to get beyond that part, and she was there. She was that person that was there to teach me. Like along my path, she was she was supposed to be there, like the. The car accident, the police officer. I don't know if you when you read the book, um, I would have been dead. I would have wouldn't been be here right now talking to you if a police officer wouldn't took it upon himself to drive me to the to the hospital because the ambulance was already tied up in a car accident. So he brought me to the hospital in a squad car because he saw my pulse was weak and I lost a lot of blood. But by the time I got to the hospital, I was dead. I declared me as dead in the hospital. But when he first got me on the scene, um, he brought me to the hospital and I believe he was there. He was the one that got the call and was one closest there to respond because he was sent my way. And I believe that he was the one that had enough courage to pick me up and bring me to the hospital um, and not wait for the ambulance. Because if ambulance would, would if the ambulance would have came, I would have uh, uh, the time they came, I would have I would have died. I would have lost so much blood and it would have been over for me. Yeah, we get a lot of um, signs in life and we have things that come to us. And just like coaches, too, do you have, I don't know, maybe the best advice that you ever received from a coach? So, Woody, Coach Woody in high school, he's always telling me um, because I was so much I was so much faster than everybody else. So after a while, I became so much faster than everybody else. Um, I used to always bounce it outside. I get the ball, bounce it outside, bounce it outside. And um, and so I did that in high school. It was so easy, and I could dominate. Nobody could catch me. I get them saying 2,000 yards. Got to college, you know what I mean? Still did in junior college. I went to Alfred State, so I still did the same thing. Bounced it outside. I cut up in the middle sometime, but mainly bouncing. When I got to Division One, it was a different story. I'm not bouncing anywhere because I bounced it there right there. So I had to learn to come up the middle, and I always remember the coach – uh, yelling at me, and his his thing was his name was Coach Woody, and he always said, uh, "Where you where you pulled to be?" I'm saying that that was his saying, not where you where you're supposed to be. He said, "Leroy, where you pulled to be?" You know what I mean? So, and I always heard, and I heard that years of after playing, I heard him telling me, uh, "Go up the middle, go up the middle." And I'm saying so uh, after you know I me mean, me feeling that I need to start going up the middle after I, you know I had a little epiphany. I, I remember him. He was a big, a big part of my life, man. He was always that guy that, that that gave me the most encouragement and told me. He told me the only coach that I ever dealt with in in Pop Warner, JV, or Varsity. He's the only coach that told me. He said, "Leroy, you're going D1. You're going D1." I said, "Coach, I know I'm going to pros." He said, "Yes, you are." He's the only one that believed in me. He's the only coach that believed in me and told me I, I was going. Because nobody else in the area never saw it before because nobody ever done it. But he was one coach that said, I know you are. I believe in you. So, Coach Woody. It's almost like that same constant theme of 
the broken arrow in the path and he kept saying, you know, get to get ba- back on that path. You know, this is where you're supposed to be kind of thing. Yeah, where, where you're supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that, you know, going back to the, the challenges of, you know, after the brain trauma and everything, how did that help you prepare or maybe detract from you preparing for a game? Um, so it didn't. So the thing is that we always did this uh, mind meditation. So basically, it's it's uh, uh, you start to visualize. You you paint the picture. You paint the picture. You create the movie. You sit and close. Sit and close. You know, turn your lights off. Sit and close area. Close your eyes and actually see what you want to do. And what made it so easy for us? We always always knew the first ten plays we we're gonna do. We knew we rehearsed the first 10 plays we we're going to do. So I actually got a chance. To, and plus, I learned to play. Once I learned the playbook, I learned it was good. But preparing always, you close your eyes and you actually paint the picture and, and create the movie of what you want to happen every time. So I know my first play, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to happen. Second play, this is what I want to do, what I want to happen. And I create that movie and always see myself doing that, doing that, doing those things. And then. And now, uh, you know, I say my prayers. I, you know, I get, I, I have my go, my, my, my go back to my faith world and, and, um, and pray. And, and then I just go out there and make, make magic happen. And this is something that I always wondered when they always have like the script, you know, the 10 plays we're going to do at the beginning of the game, the 20, whatever it is, each coach might have a different amount of plays. Does that help players get into their rhythm at the beginning? Or is it just a matter of we, we can kind of script it out at the beginning? Well, it, no, it does because what it is, it, it's because it's always good to know what you're getting into. You know what I mean? So, and I mean, and things change. You know what I'm saying so. They always say this thing: midstream adjust. So things change over time. So you always got to be able to midstream adjust because you know what you're supposed to do, but then it might change. So it was it was a good thing for players to to get that first script because now you know what you're getting into. Okay. Okay. Bam. We doing a pass play. Now you can communicate with the person that, okay, you're going to, you're going to do a dig out, a uh, dig out and up. And so you're going to tell quarterback and go tell a receiver. Okay. Dig out and up. You're going to come here. You see him shade on the inside, hit him hard on the inside, go to the outside. So, you know, is that time is that communication the beginning that actually give you power and advantage. If it go draw up the way, if it happened the way you draw it up, but it gives you a little bit of chance to communicate and give the players a chance to um, to know what they're getting into. What was your favorite play to be called when you knew you were getting the rack? Oh, man. You know what? I love the draws. I love the draw play. You know why? The reason I love the draw play, because when I get the ball, when I get the ball, I draw, I get the pause, right, for a second. And what I get to do, I get to see everything. I saw everything. So I saw the people come in. I was able to slow the people down. I was able to slow them down. Um, after I started, you know, like run, when I started, got, got the habit of running up the middle, I could slow the linebackers down. I could see him coming. I could slow him down, see him coming, and I could see him know where he's at and see somebody else. I'm like, okay, he's coming this way. And now it comes back to me. What should you do? You know what I mean? Why are they coming full speed? So that draw gave me that chance to pause, to see, to react. It happened so quick. You watch any of my highlights from high school, college. USC is a work of art, man. Guys, the blitz in, they, and it was like they they could never touch me, man. It was I was all over the place. <laughs> Did it ever feel like I don't know if you've ever played any video games, but there's those times where it's like it kind of goes in slow motion, and you kind of have that field. You can see the entire vision, and it goes back to speed, and it just goes. Do you ever get that feeling? Oh yeah, absolutely. So it's it's in the zone. So the one thing I love, I love it when um when I when I get that person that rushing because like I said, my my brain. It, 
like I said, it reacts it reacts different, and it and it it, it I mean, it's not just me. There's a lot of lot of athletes out there, but it just it registers things really fast when you're under pressure. So if you're under pressure, so if guys sit back there waiting, it's harder to make that make that move around them to do the to create something that they're sitting there waiting, you know. But if they're moving at you, putting pressure on you, now your brain registered. Okay, boom! Now you got to go into the zone, slow that runner down, and and then do something, do something about it. And so I I just I uh I I just I love I love the pressure. I love the pressure coming at me, man. And I and I I can I can make things happen when that when that when it gets to that point. I wonder if that's has to go back with the way that you know our neurologically. Uh, wired if some people are more geared towards like you said when i get under pressure i go you know the fight or flight i guess you could say then i can versus i kind of freeze and then maybe that's what separates some of the eh from the hey i'm gonna make it kind of guys and speaking of make it kind of guys uh you did you made it to the nfl of course there were some challenges there too uh did you go to the scouting hub combine were you invited (laughs) well see look and that's the thing that that happened so um yeah, as you read my book, you read into it that I ran into some some stuff because I was a junior and I was a junior on the football field as a senior in class. So I was supposed to graduate that year. So I actually eligible. Uh, I had a junior. I was a junior on the football field. So I made myself eligible for the draft. All right, and saying so while being while being eligible for eligible for the draft, I was um you have to be selected. No, you have to, you, you got to be your coach have to sign you in. You have to be selected by the coaches. All right. So if you're a senior, they, the draft selects you, but the coaches and, and me making my selection to go to the pros, um, the coaches didn't like that too much. So uh, my name got thrown in the dirt. Um, and then my accident came back up. I'm a red flag now. I might have brain trauma. I mean, I might, I'm, I'm one hit with from an accident. Um, there'll be, so all these things was coming up about me. Uh, they be. I mean, the accident happened when I was a kid, but they was bringing it back up, and and it was it was um like I said, I can't really say, but if because uh, uh, I don't have a strong enough proof, but I know that um, things good things weren't said about me um, going into it because um, I was, they wanted me to stay for another year, and you know I mean, so going into it, I was twenty four years old, I was twenty four years old, uh, I was a single back offense, so I felt it was the right time for me to go. And I was being selected as a high draft pick, like a number one, number one draft pick, top, top draft pick. Um, so not number one, but, you know, top first round draft pick. So I'm, I'm being selected first round draft pick. So why isn't a good time? I'm top in the country, top running back in the country, number two in the nation, rushing touchdowns, top 10 in every other category. Why isn't a good time? You know, and I'm, I'm a senior. I'm, I'm like, I'm one of the oldest going into the draft. And, uh, Nope. So then my name got thrown in the dirt. The, the, you know, the teams had to ask my coach and the coach obviously said no. And said, so we actually have a, we even had a pro day at our school and I wasn't even invited to my own pro day at Louisville. Huh? So I see, I don't know anything about any of the back behind the scenes stuff when all that happens. Well, I had a pro day at Louisville and I wasn't even invited to my, I had, I had to create my own private workout. My own. I only got a chance to work out for NFL team one time, and I was four NFL teams one time before the draft because uh, I couldn't go to pro day. I couldn't go to they. They he wouldn't put me in the NFL the scout. I was the top running back in the country. I mean, I couldn't go into the scout. 
the uh, scouting combine. And I, I didn't go to another pro day they had. So they got a chance. So I had to make a private workout for them to come see me. And it was like four teams there. And um, that was it. I mean, it was like, you know what I mean? I hope, hope I get a chance. And Miami was still going to pick me up. They thought they were going to pick me up in the first round. And then they ended up not drafting me at all. So it was like, um, and I got picked up by the Redskins, but it was it was uh it was tough during that time. It was it was awful. It was awful because it was seemed like everything I worked for, all the promise, everything that that um that was supposed to be, that was already laid out, was supposed to be, just got destroyed, just got the, the burned up, just got buried. You know what I mean? So and it happens like just like that. Yeah, it's almost like it felt like the rug was pulled from under you. You're back in the wheelchair again. And it's like, how do I? I've already overcame this once or twice, actually, because of the other things. How do I overcome it again? I mean, you ended up signing on with the team after. Was it the Redskins at first or? Yes, I was the Redskins. I was the Redskins for um, for about three months. And the training camp, I made it to the last training camp. And, and, uh, and you know, and the, this that right there almost broke me. The Redskins, the Redskins situation almost broke me. It almost destroyed me. I mean, it almost it almost took me out again, you know. I was, uh, this is this is devastating. This is actually my second book. I'm writing my second book, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, you, you'll, you'll get it. I was, um, we had a game against New England Patriots. Oh, no, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. We had a game against the Steelers, and um, I had a great game that day. Awesome game. And it was during training camp. So I had an awesome game. I went out there, rushed for a lot of yards, almost scored a t- almost scored a, a long touchdown, broke a couple of tackles. And I'm mean, I was a, I was a considered the star of the day of that of that game. So I'm like, man, this is easy. The NFL, this is easy. Gave me a chance that I'd do something. Um so the next week we go into go into the uh practice the on Tuesday, and you know they still going doing their cuts. And uh, the guy they call the Reaper. The Reaper goes around and, and, you know, get the guys and tell the guys that, you know, coach want to see you. And then, you know, uh, and then you cut. Usually you cut or they get you get a sign, a signing bonus, whatever the case is. Um, so I go into the building. I, I run to Norv Turner. So me and Norv Turner is having a conversation. We're talking. And then uh, and so we're, we're talking. I'm like, OK, how you doing? He said, yo, you did a great job in the game. Uh, it was uh, you, did, you did very well. You played well. You played hard. I can't wait to see you next time. Next, next, I can't wait to see you next week. Next week, I'm gonna, you know, see you again and um, see what you do. See what you can do. I can't wait to see what you do. Basically, and I'm just excited. I'm like blown. I'm that happy. I'm getting ready to go downstairs in my locker room, go in the locker room, and change and, and get ready to go call my mother to tell her, Mom, we made it. We did it. We did it, Mom. You know what I mean? And I mean, ten minutes later, while I'm getting everything going, the address, I get a tap on my shoulder and the Reaper. He came and said, Coach, he said, Leroy, Coach, want to see you. I said, I just saw Coach. I just saw Coach 10 minutes ago uh, up in the hall. He said, yeah, yeah, I know. He, he told me to come get you and bring your playbook. I'm like, what? Like, what the, what the heck going on? I just talked to Coach. He told me I did an excellent job. He told me I can't wait to see me next week. So bring my playbook. So I, you know, I grab my playbook. I get finished getting dressed, get my playbook, going up to tell, going to see Coach. He going walking his by his office. He said, "Come on in, take a seat." And he apologized. Leroy, I'm sorry. He said, uh, "He said we're gonna have to let you go. You're in a bubble." I'm like, you're "Gonna let me go? We just had a conversation." He said, "Yeah, I know." He said, "When I got to my office, there's a list. There's a list on the desk. Your name's on the list for the guys that need to be released today." I had my plane ticket and everything all set, I, and I got released. And I ended up walking out of the building that day instead of telling my mother 
that month we made it. An hour later, I'm being escorted out of the building. So that's like a roller coaster of emotions. And so that kind of brings me to kind of the point of how does the man in charge not know what's going on? Is it is it all the positional coaches that make those decisions or no, um, no, it's um it came down from up top. I'm saying like some coaches don't have a have a say. Like North Turner had no clue. I believe he had no clue that when I saw him in the hallway that I was I was gonna get released. I believe that the, the numbers came from upstairs because Daniel Snyder was a new, new coach at the time and he controlled everything. You know what I mean? Daniel Snyder was, was controlling everything. The GM controlled everything. You know what I mean? It's like, I think North Turner was just, he was a coach. He was a good guy. He was a good coach, but I don't think he had no say in anything. So um, when he got to his office, the list of people had to go and I, my name was on the list. And I just had a conversation about to tell my mother, mom, we made it. We did it. Man, that's uh yeah, just go like you said, the roller coaster of emotions and hearing it from the head coach who in theory should be the guy that this okay, I made it because the the head honcho that just makes the decisions and then you get that other and after that, you what team did you cling on with later? Because I thought I saw you in a Jaguars jersey. Yep, so I was Jaguars. So I went to Jack Jacksonville Jaguars. I was Jaguars for uh about a year and a half. I was on their practice squad. And um, and I was always every week. I was always close, always close against sign. It was you know he always kept me on that on that bubble. Like uh, Leroy, stay by your phone. Or it was like it was like the most annoying thing ever because it's like stay by your phone, stay by your phone. We're gonna call you. Stay by your phone. You might get a call. You might get a call. So this is like every weekend before a game, I'm I'm that guy that almost gonna get a call. And saying so, I just never got that. Just never got that. You know that bump up to the to the actual roster. But then, you know, a year later, I ended up getting released. And after I got released, I was, uh, you know, I mean, I was always fighting to get back into a team. And then I ended up going to Canada and with the, my agent and trying to get back into the States from Canada was just a nightmare. And that didn't work out, work out good. I had teams that couldn't sign me, that wanted to sign me. I couldn't sign me because um, I was I was owned or I was uh, I was under contract with, with the CFL for two years. Uh, when I thought it was only about a year, but it was like two years I was on the contract with them. So um, that was just like, that was just devastating. I, that's another thing that was like, like why did I sign a two-year contract? My, my mission was to come and, but but they wouldn't release that. And so I ended up going to the um, XFL too. And then XFL didn't work out, you know, and then, you know what I mean? Then I, but then after all that was all said and done, I realized why I had to take that trip to the NFL, to the disappointments. I took all those trips, and that, that's actually the title of my second book, is that, was it really about football? It was really about football, because it goes into talking about, like, what I'm doing now, how I'm inspiring now. My book came out, what is it doing to people's lives right now? How kids are being, are, are overcoming adversity. How kids are, are, are not committing suicide because they, they believe they have another chance, their hope is on the other side. Just um, mothers that I'm saying knowing about giving their kids the encouragement and and drive that they that they that they so they need and you know what I mean so it's just so much that this book is like doing and I mean like was it really about football? No, it wasn't about football. It was it was about everything that we do in life that I realize in life it's not about us. It's about somebody else. You no, know I mean? it's about somebody else, man. And that's what um, football didn't happen. I did all these challenges. I was always. And I wasn't like I was just on the team. 
I, I was never just on a team. I was always the top on a team. I was always the, like the top guy on a team. I was always a people that person that the person that uh, gave it everything I got running sometimes. And I, I mean, I still got scars on my, on my arm here on both arms. I like even right here that I ran through the gauntlet. I said, I wanted to get better with the, at the NFL. So I went out, ran to the gauntlet. So I pulled the flesh off my arms, uh, both arms. I got both band, had my arms bandaged up. Just, just, you know what I mean? I always did that extra, extra. And it was something I was conditioned to. And then when it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening. I'm saying, you know what? Uh, and it went, and then the CFL was like kind of the last straw for me uh, when that all that stuff went down. And that's when I say, you know what? That you know, there's something else that I, I should be doing. You know what I mean? And I, I didn't give up on football because another team would have called. I would have, I would have, I would have, I would have, you know, went for it. But I started helping people. I started training people. I started helping people. I started motivating people and start doing things that's gonna that's gonna advance people around me. And I gave me the drive. So I had the, what I had, the drive I had inside, I was able to give to other people. And I was able to get them to the next level to, and help them get them over the hump and and have a conversation with a person. It's like you know what? Um, there's a fire inside of you that you had you need you had, that you didn't even get a chance to touch it. Let that go and touch that fire, man, and go out there and do anything do anything you want to do in life. And and people people are doing it, man. And I, like I said, that's what it was all about, man. I don't think I would have went that far, did that if I went through what I went through. And I got the dream collection. That's my that's my 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 lo- my clothing line is a dream. I got the dream collection, so. I go talk to kids all over the country and tell kids to dream. Don't forget the dream. Yeah. And speaking of telling kids to dream, you've gone through all these years of challenges and going through that broken arrow. If you could go back and you could tell yourself, your, you know, your younger self when you're in that wheelchair, what piece of advice or what would you have told yourself? I think I would have told myself to, to, um, to uh, document like everything clear because there's a whole lot of stuff that that I that I've been writing this book, man. So I'm, I'm like calling all over the world, everybody that was a, ever relationships or family member to, to write this book. I if I know right now where I'm at right now, and where I would have, I mean, if I'm where I'm at now, what I where I come came from, if I known that I would be doing what I'm doing now, I would have told myself document everything, write everything down, take more pictures, do this, do that. Um, I would that's what I would did because uh, you know I mean there's a there's a lot that I went through and just a, just the thought my mindset the way I was the way I thought man the way I was just thinking like you know I mean it's like I was one of like <clears throat> not arrogant not arrogant but um not stubborn um you know thick headed little kids I just saw something that nobody else saw you know what I mean you know what I mean I was like I can I can see I wake up in the middle of the night crying because I because I I see myself running using my legs. You know what I mean? Like I, I couldn't walk, but I saw myself running as a little kid around the neighborhood and I saw myself playing football in the NFL. And I mean, and I'm, you know, it's like getting out of walking, you know? So that was, that was just a joy in itself because I, I wasn't able to do it for a long time. So then why did you end up writing the book, this, this previous one? And then why are you writing the next one? Yeah. So now that's the, the, I always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to do it. And, and for some reason that I always started like for like last, probably last 10 years, I always start the book. And then I stop. I always start and stop because what I did, I, I put this thing in my head and, and thought myself that this book was too big. It was too big because of the, the time frame, the patience to sitting around, the, you know what I mean? All this different stuff. Um, just thinking, just put, just put the, the, I put a, 
a demand on it that shouldn't have been there. So I always wanted to reach people, always talk with people. People always say, you should write a book. I always wanted to write a book. And then it was up to last year is when I actually said, I mean, I, mean, I, I kept failing at writing this book. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to read a book from cover to cover. So it was January. It was, it was December 2016. I made a New Year's resolution to myself. And I said, New, January 2017, I am going to read a book from cover to cover. All right, I'm gonna read the book from cover to cover, and then and then uh, that was my new resolution because I never did it before. I never read a book. I always read books. I would. I'm in college. Uh, just to say, I have a master's degree. Uh, I went to college. I, you know, what I mean, I did all this stuff, but I never sat and actually read a book from cover to cover. So I told myself I was gonna do that, January 2017, and I did it. I start open up. I start reading that book. Open up. Start reading. From cover to cover, I finished that book, opened my second book, opened my third book. And then after I finished my third book, I started writing. And once I started writing, I never stopped. I just kept writing. I was so like two, three o'clock in the morning, like the same thing with, with the wheelchair. We're trying to walk again. I used to get up. I used to write, get up writing a book. My wife would look over at me and she'd be like, what you doing? And I'm saying three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, babe, I can't sleep. I'm writing this, writing this book. And it would just come to me, come to me, come to me. And then I, um, you know, just tracking people down, trying to track people down. Like, okay, I need to talk to the doctor. Okay, we'll talk to this person, talk to the lawyer. Talk. I need to get information from everybody. And uh, you know, what I mean, so that took time, but it was I was relentless. But it was thought I had to write this book to to touch people. But then the second book, reason why I was saying I'm gonna write everything in the first book, and then I stopped writing it. And then something told me get it published. You know what I mean? So I had a lot more to write to get it published. You know what I mean? So I went and got the book published. And then, you know what I mean? The book's just been, been selling like hotcakes. It's, been, it's actually become a movie. Oh, really? The book is actually being, it's being, it's already scripted right now to be a movie. And we'll start with the arrow, another another break in, a, in, in my plan, in the plan. The book is, was, is scripted to be a movie. And this summer, they're going to shoot, start shooting a movie of the running back this summer, but the coronavirus happened, paused everything. Unbelievable. You know what I mean? But like I said, I learned how to handle the adversity, man. And, um, and just like this, give me another chance just to give me another chance, give them another chance to make this thing greater because now I see the number one sports movie in the country. And that's what you're going after, right? <laughs> I keep telling myself the number one sports move in the country. And I tell everybody that for for my my belief, you know what I mean? That make me make it manifested into something real. So when that ends up happening and when they're actually able to start it in production, does that mean that you'll be involved on the day-to-day or is it more of a strategic level? Um, no, it's um I'm gonna be. I won't be involved, you know, because um the way that we because uh, the contract that I got, we actually still work mapping the contract. Guy, I didn't get it signed yet because through all, all that all this stuff is happening. I ain't, my lawyers in Albany, so I ain't even I ain't even really get a chance to even go see them to go try to get that to get all that stuff done yet because I knew they closed everything down. So how it seems that I won't be directly involved, but I will have a say in the in the. Like they'll come back with a new script. It's like, hey, this new script, we're gonna do some stuff. So they come a new script. And so I have a saying, like, hey, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's do this. Then they say, okay, we want this person 
acting, do the actor in here. And like, oh, I don't know if I want that person. So that, that's to say I have, like I was saying, I don't want that person acting Can you get somebody else. You know what I mean? So that's as far as I go. Like, I want, you can't have a, a non-actor. I mean, you can, but you want to have the movie to be, uh, you know, have somebody in there that, you know, that know what they're doing. Right. You can't pick a person because they are running back, because they ran the ball. They know how to play football. You know, a person that know how to act and play football. You know what I mean? Somebody that, that's what I, I want the movie to be, uh, like one of the best movies in the country. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that when that comes out. And uh, maybe I can be a, a bystander. I can be the dude that, that you run over or something like that. In the- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Man. I, you know I mean, that's what I wanted. See, the thing I want, I wanted my boys to play me as a younger years. I got a six-year-old. I got a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 12-year-old. So I wanted my boys to actually play me growing up as a, as a kid, you know what I mean? And car accident and all that. But, um, but they, they want to, they, it's like, they don't know if they, if they have an opportunity of getting like Denzel's nephew. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going to get Denzel's nephew because there's so much money involved. They got so much money involved in this thing. So they said that they need to, the actors they get need to be, they need to be big. So I wish I had that say to say, you know what, I want my boys to play me. Well, my boys ain't good actors, so <laughs> well, he's not yet. They can practice. <laughs> sure, I feel you there. But um, so I had Vince Papali, who is the the movie the The Invincible, um, with Mark oh, yeah. Wahlberg. I had him on a few episodes ago, and his daughter and son were both in the movie, but they were more like the the extras. Like the one daughter ran across in front of Mark Wahlberg, and the son did something else too. So same concept, but again, they weren't the actors. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. That's why I, I want. It'd be so awesome. They play big. They all look like me. So, <laughs> well, I hope everything worked. You know, I mean, unfortunately, everything's been backtracked, but you've dealt with that your entire life. And speaking of them, looking at the shirt again, dream. Uh, let's dream in a different way. I'm going to give you the virtual keys to my DeLorean. You can go back in time, any point in NFL history, and you can be there present for one moment. You can't change the outcome, though, because that's kind of cheating. We know what happens there in the movies. Uh, what moment are you going to? The 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 um in the in the, in the game in the, the moment in football. You can go to a moment in a football game. I've had some people tell me they wanted to shake a hand of a World War II veteran. I've had some. It's like totally open ended. We had a game against the Carolina Panthers. Again, the Camp Carolina Panthers, and it was it was third and fourteen. Third and fourteen. And the coach called my name. I'm getting the ball. Third and 14. I get the ball. So he gave me the ball. And as soon as I touch the ball, a guy rushes in and grabs my leg, shake him off. And then I go. And when I was running, I'm just wishing I put my hand down. The guy hit my shoestring. I'm, I mean, I, I can see an 80-yard touchdown. The guy hit my shoestring. I hit my, hit my toes. And I was going to put my hand down. And I didn't put my hand down. I dove instead of put my hand down. I would have had a touchdown. That right there, I already had the most yards that game as a, as a running back. But I would have. I think I had most. I think I had more. I think I, Fred Taylor probably had more yards, but he had more carries than me. I had. I think I had a better average. Um, but I um. I, I dove instead of put my hand down. If I put, I wish I would went back and put my hand down because that ate me up for a <laughs> long time. Put your hand down, keep it going, and that's something that Woody taught me. Woody always taught me, 
Walter Payton put his hand down. Walter Payton put his hand down because he was he was like you know he's like Walter Payton really never came out um like to go out of bounds, and Walter Payton always put his hand down to get that extra yards. And I was thinking about that that put your hand down, Collins. <laughs> so if I go back, that right there would have been it. All right, so I'll give you I'll make an exception. You can do one outcome change. You can tell yourself to put the hand down. We'll go with that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Lira, I do appreciate you joining the show. Um, very inspirational. I'm going to leave a link to the book in the show notes, and then we'll be forward looking for the upcoming book and the movie in the future. Is there anything else as far as uh, any kind of advice you'd like to give to the listener of the show? Yeah, just never, never give up, never quit. Um, things may not seem like it's possible. It may not seem like it's going to happen. But the thing is that the key is functional dreaming. If you believe it can happen, functional dreaming, meditation, affirmation, and do the work. If you follow that process, you follow those, those steps, you can make anything happen. I, you can make anything happen. Now, I just said, when I had the dream from a wheelchair, I didn't know that I was doing that. I was functional dreaming. I had no idea I was functional dreaming. But then as I got older, I realized that I can have anything I want. I just got to continue being consistent with it. So whatever you're doing, be consistent, stay with it, never quit, and always believe. How about that incredible journey from an individual that just kept getting beat down by life? Then he decided to pull himself back up multiple times, and he gave us some words of wisdom for our own lives. Like he said, it wasn't just about football. I mean, I think we can all learn and be inspired from this. And speaking of inspiration, I think there are so many different stories throughout the yesteryear of your favorite sports that I had to start this Sports History Network, a collection of podcasts and other shows dedicated to reliving and retelling some of the lost or forgotten sports stories of the past. If you want to learn more, you can head over to sportshistorynetwork.com. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe with your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going... We don't need roads. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday Sports.
How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.